came up with the idea of Christian home decor. <laughs> Who did this? The day after Christmas, I was charged with a mission by my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law and father-in-law had to get back to Williamsburg, Virginia, and they had to leave early in the morning, and she, she needs some things for a family wedding this summer. And so, and because I'm a man, she texted me pictures of what I needed to get at Hobby Lobby. So she said, the day after Christmas, you need to be at Hobby Lobby when it opens, and you need to get these things for me. And I thought, no problem. <laughs> no problem. Thank God Jenny went with me. I pulled into the parking lot at 5 to 9 in the morning, and it's full. There is a line of women that goes all the way to PetSmart. And I thought, oh, sweet Lord Jesus, come now. So I think, well, I can, I can do this. And I go in. Now, there, it's not like Best Buy and guys tossing over TVs. These women were polite. But they were like locusts, you know, sharks with blood in the water. They, there was a feeding frenzy in the Christmas section of Hobby Lobby that morning. And, but every time I got bumped or jostled, it, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, can I get that for you? So again, total politeness. Again, I was just bowled over. But it, I don't go into Hobby Lobby that much. But I don't know if you know this, but a quarter of the store is just like Christian home decor. You can get Jesus on pictures. You can get Jesus on mugs. You can spell out the name with Jesus with letters. You can buy letters and put Jesus, you know. You can get all kinds of Christian stuff at Hobby Lobby. And it's, it, it, it amazes me. And here's a few things. Be still and know that I am God. Like, that's one of them. And I'm one of the ones that tends to see the irony of life. So I always imagine that this is in a home with a family that's got five kids under the age of five. God, help me to be still. Be still, Johnny. Be still. Look at the plaque. Um, then there's the, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. But I happen to know where we live, so I know this is the actual truth. In our house, we'll serve the Lord, but we're cheering for the Wildcats. Bam, mic drop. Sorry, Jesus, the cats are playing, okay? <laughs> so there's that. Um, they have, why, so now, I have, I, only, I have limited experience. In my life, I've only been exposed to three churches that had the name Grace in the church. As it turns out, all three of those churches did not understand the concept of grace. Now, it may be, so I imagine, you know, this is typically in the home where the, you know, if you're a teenager, you're called in and what's, I see you got all A's, but what's this B? You know, that, and we're like, uh, hey, dad, you know. So, and then there's love. Uh, notice it's the office that's unoccupied. Uh, so, uh, be strong and courageous. This is another one. You can put this over your couch. So, there's, there's all kinds of Christian decor. I sometimes wonder if this is what people put that are like, I'm not going to freak out today. I'm not going to do it. I'm not freaking out. Help me, Jesus. I'm clicking my heels right now. So, we live in the South. I don't know if you know this. This is the South. If you're from Alabama or Mississippi, I know you don't think it is, but it is, okay? Because I was a Yankee. Um, and in the South, like this Christian stuff is everywhere. I know people that don't go to church at all that have Christian stuff in their house. 
They have fish on their cars. Like, I can't tell you how many times I have been cut off on US 27 <laughs> by somebody who's got fish on their car. And I'm like, Jesus said, treat others, dot, 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 the way you want to be treated. Okay. <laughs> right? So, but we, we do this, and we've got fish on cars. We, you know, we, it's like we're trying to say, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? You know, I don't know. Maybe you went to a Lutheran church where they did that kind of stuff, but this is everywhere, and it's in our culture, this Christian stuff. And, and now, we get this honestly. I actually know where it comes from. I don't know if you know this, but the roots of Christianity are Judaism. And so the Jews, they were great about God's stuff. And the Jews of Jesus' day, they had these things called phylacteries. A phylactery was a uh, leather pouch, black or, or brown leather pouch that you would put on your forehead or wrap around your left arm, and it would have scriptures in it. And you're like, oh, I get that. I've got a Fitbit. But, you know, they, they would wear this. And, and so uh, they also have this thing uh, called a mezuzah. Mezuzo is plural of mezuzah. So they would have a mezuzah. And, they, and if you're a good Jewish family, you, you put a scripture in here, and you, you know, bolt it to the outside of your doorframe of your house. And if you don't believe me, I went on to Amazon. Like, you can buy these. Still, today, you can get a mezuzah. This one's $40 because it's got, like, you know, turquoise and stuff, and it's handmade fused glass, whatever that is. Um, and so, God's stuff is not new. Now, we people, we people have a tendency to do this. You know how I know? If you love anything, it tends to come out. I don't want to call anyone out in this congregation, but like take Star Wars, for example. Like if you're really into Star Wars, you wear Star Wars shirts all the time. You have the decals on your car. You dress your kids in Star Wars. When it's Halloween time, they're Han Solo or Princess Leia. Like, you know, it's a thing because you love Star Wars, mostly because you just haven't figured out how awesome Star Trek is. But, you know, it's a thing. It's out there. We're into Jesus, supposedly, so we put Jesus stuff on our bodies and in our homes and on our cars, and we get it honestly. So where did the Jews get this idea that you should have God's stuff around? And now, if you've got God's stuff in your home, let me say this, good for you. When we get a building someday, I'm going to actually use every bit of influence I have in this church to plaster the walls. We're not going to paint the walls. We're going to get big, giant, pictured things that we can hang up and take down that have scripture on them, pictures, because I go into churches and it's nothing but vanilla walls, and I'm like, really? Have you seen what they did in Cappadocia in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth century? They painted every square inch. <laughs> At least the ADDs who come to church, you know, five weeks in a row will have two scriptures memorized because they're like, it's on the wall. <laughs> Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Got it. It's there. You know, it's, I'm bored. It was on the wall. Okay? So, again, I don't have, I think Christian decor, it's not, don't hear me on this. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. But we get it honestly. 
And we get it honestly because it's found in Deuteronomy. So if you brought a Bible, a paper Bible, you can open it to the book of Deuteronomy. It's one of the first five books of the Old Testament. And we're going to be in Deuteronomy 6. This passage is one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. When Jesus was asked, hey, Rabbi, what's the most important commandment? What's your read? He quotes this passage. This is his answer to the question, what's the one thing? What's the most important thing? Tell me. And he quotes this. So, all right, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we'll look at the first couple of verses, and we'll actually walk through the passage together. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy, and you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey his degrees and commands, you'll enjoy a long life. In the very beginning of this, this chapter, it's about God. It's not about you and me. It's about God. And Moses is the one speaking here. And so this particular passage, this is taking place after the Israelites get out of Egypt Pharaoh and his army are drowned in the sea. They've wandered in the desert 40 years, and the day is just about to hit where they're going to cross the River Jordan into the Promised Land. But rumor has it that Moses isn't going. Did you hear? Hey, Gary, did you, did you hear what they were? Yeah, Moses isn't going. Really? And so Moses, speaking on God's behalf, knows, I'm not going with them. This is my swan song. So I don't know if you've known anyone who's had cancer or something like that and knows their days are numbered. All of a sudden, they start saying things like, no, 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 this is important. I want you to know this. I want to tell you this. Moses knows. I got a limited amount of time here. So in this passage, hear, listen, pay attention. This comes up a lot, right? So that's, there's an urgency in what's being said. Verse 3, listen closely, Israel. There it is again. Be careful to obey then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Prosperity lies ahead. That's what milk and honey speaks to. Vineyards, cities, valleys, no more manna. This land is going to be awesome, and you're going to be set like a perm. And that's a problem. You're going to be set like a perm, and that's a problem. It's a problem because prosperity and wealth typically brings about complacency. When people ask me, what's the greatest threat to Christianity in America? I don't list things like progressive liberalism, the media, you know, all the stuff that a lot of people like to name. You know what I list? Money. <laughs> wealth. We got what we need. Thank you very much. We're okay. We dial in God in case of emergency, break glass. And so... Way back 3,000 plus years ago, same thing. It's funny how human nature hasn't changed in a few thousand years. All right? Verse 4, Moses continues. Here's it again. Listen, O Israel, the Lord's your God, the Lord alone. The Lord is our God. Moses is reminding people, God's it. God's our God. And then the kicker, verse 5. You must commit yourself, uh, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Love God with everything. Don't hold back. 
It's the first time in the Bible we're told to love God. You would expect, right? God, all-powerful, all-knowing, omniscient, obey Him, fear Him. That makes sense. Love Him? Yeah, love Him. Love Him. The entire passage, this entire passage is referred to by the Jews as the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. They say it twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu. Twice a day. When Jesus is asked, what's the most important command? He quotes this. So would you say this passage is in the bottom 25% of stuff in the Bible or in the top 25% of stuff in the Bible? Yeah, it's in the top. This is really, really important. Verse 6. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Wholeheartedly. Write it on your hearts. It's about relationship. It's about relationship. Love God is about relationship. If all we do is pass down rules and regulations to the next generation of faith, regulations don't inspire devotion. Nobody's going to die for a rule. Oh, rule number 14, I'm, I'm taking a hit for that one. Nobody does that. In the movies, when somebody says, no, 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 take me instead, torture me, spare them, you know what they're really saying to that person? I love you. Love does that. How do we know that God loves us? The New Testament tells us because God died, God sent his son and died for us. That's how we know God loves us, okay? So there's some important things in this passage. Let's get to the rest of it, verses 7 and following. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands. Ding, 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 ding. Write them on your hearts. Uh, wear them on the foreposts, uh, on your foreheads as reminders. You can't, you got to give them credit for taking it literally. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What's really going on here? Hey, faith, relationship with God, that's not just a Sabbath thing. That's not just a synagogue thing. It's not just something you do once a week when the priest is doing his magic hocus pocus stuff. That's a, when you're walking, when you're living, when you're going to work, when you're doing anything, it's an everyday thing. It's an every moment thing. It's an all the time thing. It's not just a Sunday thing. That's what this passage speaks to. And so for those of us that are parents, there's a lot of oomph in this passage. So the Jews, of course, they, they, they make phylacteries and mezuzo, and they, and they literally tie it to their bodies, and they wear it on their foreheads, and they post it on their doors. These same people that when the law showed up in the flesh in the form of Jesus, they didn't even recognize him. They, didn't, they had all the rules, but they didn't have love and he calls them out for it doesn't he jesus does that all right do you know why we name generations community church generations community church by the way this passage psalm 78 so the next generation will 
No, when we started this church in 2004, we were the only church in the United States to be called Generations. We were it. There were no one else. Do you know today there are over 20 churches called some form of Generations Church, Generations Community Church, Generations? One of them, there's one of them in Cincinnati. Do you know every single one of them has Deuteronomy 6, Psalm 78 as a core key passage for their identity and what it is they're trying to do they do it differently their methodology is different than ours but god's clearly up to something you want to know why i'm a pastor i'm a professional christian when i look at the church in america we got some problems there are too many churches that have nothing but old people in them they're aging they haven't needed a nursery in years um and in 10 or 20 years from now Many, many of those churches will literally close their doors. In our own community, we've had three, four of them close. And in the next decade, we'll have another five or six. It's gone. A church that I really served my heart at, uh, I caught something they did recently online. And I was thinking, this is going to be so encouraging. I'm, and the, they were focused on the minister, and then the camera panned out. And it was packed. There were more people there than, you know, we've ever had at Generations Community Church. And I was like, you know, and I'm sure part of the camera pan out angle was, see, bam, look at that. God's doing something cool here. And I about peed my pants because as I looked at all the backs of the heads, they were all gray. We can't let that be the thing that defines the church in the United States, okay? This is important to me. We may be crazy here at Generations, but we're not kidding. And notice this, com these commandments, hear, O Israel, the Shema, it isn't addressed to just parents. It isn't addressed to just youth pastors or children's workers. It isn't, it's addressed to the entire community. Oh, the entire community, you have a stake in this passing on of faith to the next generation. It's not just someone else's job. So if you're an adult, in light of this passage, dial in the church, be the church, do the one another stuff, be in community with other Christians. Sometimes I have people, they'll say to me, it's, well, you know, my, this religion, this my faith, that's just a me and the Lord thing. And I'm like, have you read the New Testament? Like, you know, <laughs> okay, no, you need to do that with other people. All of the commands, love, the fruit of the Spirit makes no sense if you're all by yourself. How can you be patient all by yourself? Kind, gentle, having self-control. Like, it requires people to, to live this stuff out. Another, another way to, uh, another point of application for you grown-ups is uh, own up to your mistakes. Uh, the Old Testament is unique among all the ancient cultures of the ancient Near East. If you were going to write a history in the ancient Near East, you would, uh, you would focus on nothing but the highlights, the victories. Um, the king did this and it was amazing. We went to battle and we smoked him. The Jewish history is different. It's radically different than all the others because... Yeah, we went and got our butts kicked because we neglected the Lord. Oh, yeah, we had this king. He was awesome, had a heart after God, and then he sinned. And then he had his tail between his legs and had to flee the city because his own son was about to take over the throne. Yep, that's us. <laughs> Jewish history is very, very different. 
They're very upfront of, yeah, we messed that up. Yep, we misstepped there. Ooh, our bad. It's modeling something for us, right? So if you're an adult, if you're a grown-up, when my kids were little, the way this would come out is if I lost my temper, if I did, I would say to the kid, one of my kids, hey, dad, I'm sorry, daddy messed up big time, didn't he? And the kid, yeah. <laughs> you just own it. Yep, daddy's a sinner <laughs> who needs a savior. When they're older, now that my kids are teenagers, it's great because we get to talk about issues and stuff. <laughs> oh, so that's where you get this, and mom, that's where you get the, oh, mm, oh, and I have that, oh, okay, you know, it's great. We get to talk about sin patterns and all kinds of great, cool things. Right, but it's good because it, it's, develop, it's a faith development thing, so own up to your mistakes and give them a front row seat to God's grace. Um, last but not least, show up for someone else. In this church, you can do this by leading in G-Town or youth group. You can be a leader. There are people who do that. There are people right now, you hear them singing next door. They're investing of themselves. They want those kids to know someone relationally. And so that this faith thing gets traction. Um, you can pray. Uh, the youth group has uh, opportunities. You can, you can say, you know what? I'll take the school year and I'll, I'll give me two students and I'll pray for them throughout the year. Boom. It's another thing that you can do because prayer does actually unlock doors and accomplishes things. Another thing, is, another way to do it is practically here on, on a Sunday. You see a student, say hello to them. Ask them their name. Ask them how their week was going. It seems like a small thing, but it's actually more bigger than you think it is, right? Convey value by how you interact with them. Now, if you're a student here, if you're a young person, I have good news for you. These commands here in, in Deuteronomy 6, it's the adults who need to be reminded, oh, hey, trust the Lord with all your heart. It's the adults who have to be reminded, make faith an everyday thing, not just a Sunday thing. Take it home with you. Take it to work with you. Live it. But that doesn't mean you're off the hook. For where you are, if you're a student, if you're a young person, you should be going back to your uh, uh, age three. You should be asking your parents all the time, why? Why do we do this? Why don't we do that? Why? 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 Do you remember how annoying that you were at age three? Yes. <laughs> you need to dial that up when you're teenage years. You need to be asking why. If you, don't, if you can't have these conversations with your mom and dad, have them with people in this room that are walking with Jesus. But be having them, all right? Why? Why do we do this? Why don't we do it that way? What's the bit, you know? It, it's a way to kick the tires, the last thing is, work with your natural advantage. All throughout the pages of Scripture, it's amazing what God does through somebody who's not even 20 years old yet. Scripture is filled with men, young men and women, who, yeah, may be impossible, but yeah, we can do this, God can do this. Yep, use me, here I am. God, God can gain all kinds of yardage with that kind of faith and expectancy, and uh, the tendency, right, for us grown-ups is the older we get, the more curmudgeoning. Well, you can't do that. That'll never happen. That's not how things work. Eh. God loves to take the rules of the game and throw them out the window. He does, right? But for everybody here, Shema Yisrael Adonai Elheinu, what is God commanding us to do? Love them. So let me ask you a question. Do you love them? Do you love God? 
If you don't, I want to suggest something. Our love for God is always a response of God's love for us. And it may very well be the case that you experientially, life circumstances, etc., simply haven't experienced enough of God's love or don't have the ability to recognize the fingerprints. And it's hard to love a God back that you think is cold or cruel or any of those kind of adjectives. All right? So are you allowing God's love to reach you? One of the things that I pray, uh, I prayed this for several years, God, give me a heart like David's. Help me to have a heart that's after yours. Uh, and you can pray, God, enlarge my heart. Enlarge my heart to receive more of your love, to give more of your love, to not allow the hurts and the disappointments to guard or block or wall off my heart with you. Um, love has got to move from the head to the heart. Right? There are a lot of Christians, oh yeah, God loves me, God loves everybody, God is love, got it. It's got to go from here, a concept, to God loves me. God loves everybody. God is love. I know it. And then it's got to go from the heart to the hands. It goes out because it doesn't just stay inside. Right? So this is an important passage. Let me ask a simple question. What if the next generation of American Christians weren't so obsessed with getting into college or worried about getting that $75,000 a year job? What if the next generation of Christians loved God phenomenally and loved people phenomenally? You might make a case that revival would break out. So here's the deal. It's going to take all of us all of us. It's going to take all of us. We're not just youth pastors, not just children's workers, not just parents. It's going to take all of us working together to ensure the next generation loves God and loves others. Amazing things happen when faith gets trans transferred that way.